Hello and welcome. My name is Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. here with Dr. Kirsty Seward. I got that right this time. And she's got a special friend with her. Show us a special friend. He's so cute. This is Murphy. <laughs> this is Murphy. Murphy's the cutest thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Where is he? He's gone now. Hello. Gone. Yeah. Murphy. <laughs> Murphy is here. Murphy is a cavoodle. And he just, he's just over one. So he's still oh. full of energy. And today, today wants my attention. As soon as I'm in a meeting, he wants my attention. <laughs> so we got Murphy with us for the duration of the recording. Hi, Murphy. <laughs> Murphy, Murphy is my little co, co-host today. <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> we, I might get my cats knocking at the door. That's what they are. Cause I've had to close the door today. <laughs> And quite often they'll at the door when I'm recording. <laughs> so cool. well, welcome to join today as well. We're all here. <laughs> We're all here. <laughs> so you are, I was just doing a little bit of, of snooping around on the internet. You're a body image coach, but you're also behavior change scientist as well, which I just found the most fascinating title. <laughs> what do you, what, tell me what you do. Thank you. Yeah, so my background, I've actually done a Bachelor in Nutrition and Dietetics, so that's where I began. So I've been a dietitian for over 10 years now. And then following that, I completed a PhD, a doctorate in behavior change or behavior science. So I am fascinated by what we as humans need to facilitate behavior change, what um, motivates us to, to enable change. And what kind of resources and support do we need to really enable that change to happen? So what kind of shifts someone from contemplating change into making that action towards change? So I am thrilled, thrilled. Um, I am captivated by the wanting to understand why we change and how do we support people to do that? And then through my own personal journey, which I'm sure we can share today about through breast implant illness. I had to unpack all of my own body image, my relationship with self and my body image. And so I upskilled in body image coaching as well. So I now bring in my lived experience and my 10 years of coaching women in the nutrition and wellness space into what I do today. Okay. So your mm. background was in nutrition and then reading what you, in your yep. bio on your website, you were over-exercising, you were overly focused on body image, you had the breast implants and then you got sick from them. And that's not an unusual thing either, is it? Because I know one of my friends had the same thing where she had to have her implants taken out because they were making her sick. Yeah, so I had I got breast implants when I was 25 in a time of my life where looking back, hindsight and self-reflection is an incredible thing. Looking back, I wasn't in a great place with my self-esteem and my self-worth around body image. So I got implants to help make me feel better about myself and be that little bit more good enough. And it was a I was surrounded by women in the fitness and diet culture world, like working in that space as well. I, I worked a lot with gyms. So I was surrounded by a lot of the diet culture messaging, the beauty ideals, and it's, it felt like the next progression. So I got implants at 25 and then to less than five years later, had them removed due to being unwell with breast implant illness. And through that journey of getting my implants removed, had all the questions come up that I had to unpack around why do I put so much of my worth on my external appearance? Why did I feel like I needed breast implants to be good enough and to be worthy? And where did my definition of beauty and these ideals come from? What influenced this decision to get them? So through all that, I had to do a lot of unpacking, some deep reflection work and really redefine what beauty was for me and how I wanted to show up in the world. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I remember – and I'm going to go on a bit of a meander here and I will get to the point. But I remember when I yeah, was I'm all probably for it. in my late teens, my grandma, who was in her early 60s at the time, was complaining because she didn't have a flat stomach anymore. 
And I remember saying, but grandma, you're in your 60s. You can't necessarily expect that. But for her, that was part, and she was always very vain about her appearance, my grandma. But I've realized that I've inherited the same kind of thing. <laughs> I had pelvic mesh put in a few years ago, about 10, 12 years ago, and I had to have it removed a couple of years ago. And I've noticed that my stomach's no longer flat because they actually put part of the mesh through my stomach muscles. So they've had to, I don't know what's the, the stomach muscles damaged. So I don't have my lower stomach's not flat anymore. And I'm pretty horrified about that fact. <laughs> It's not flat. And then I find myself thinking, I've had four children. At what point do I give my body a break and acknowledge what it's done for me so far in keeping the way, being the way it is, doing all the things mm -hmm. and just acknowledge what it's done for me without being worried about whether I still have a flat stomach or look like a 25-year-old. Yeah, and... Oh, I'm hearing you. And this is the same journey that many women go through. And it's that messaging that's that's fed to us. And it is a generational thing as well. And we are doing a lot of work now as this generation to really break break that cycle and that messaging and take our body along for the journey with us. And I share this really openly. And it's a beautiful conversation that I have with many of my ex-black clients around how the journey itself helps you reconnect with your body on a different level on this values-based perspective and taking care of your body and that body respect piece and saying what would life look like if I accepted my body and took its hand and took it with me through life instead of coming from that judgment lens and that critical lens what would it look like to actually build a relationship with my body where I want to take care of it and I want to support it to be its best. And that's not just defined by what it looks like. But yeah, you're, what you were sharing there, those messages around constantly finding the next thing to fix. And we're on this journey of what do I fix next? Now, and then that happened when I got implants. It went from my boobs weren't good enough to what can I fix next? What's the next thing I focus on? And we get stuck in that cycle. And I think it extends beyond body image as well. It goes into once I have that job, then I'll be happy. Once I have that relationship, then I'll be happy. And the same thing happens with our body. Once I fix this or once I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. But we're really seeking that inner connection to ourselves and that belonging to ourselves. So how did you tell me about your PhD mm -hmm. and because did that did the PhD come after you got your breast implants removed or was that at the same time what was the instigation for you doing that PhD Yeah so so my PhD actually happened before <sighs> before the implants and yeah so I finished my bachelor of nutrition and dietetics and I started my own business following that. And then I was invited through where I was working at the time in New South Wales Health to, to do a PhD. So my PhD really focused on behavior change and implementation science, but it focused in childcare nutrition. So it was around how do we take policies from like government national policies and how do we help childcare services implement these to support children's nutrition in care. So while that was the main focus of my PhD around implementation and behavior change in that setting, I actually was focused more around what are the actual resources and support we need to initiate change on any kind of level. So from an individual level to a institutional level to a policy level. So behavior change happens on many levels and how do we support that on each of those levels? So. I took a lot of key learnings from that, from really diving into what is behavior change and really implemented those alongside in my business throughout the, over the years. And I actually graduated with my PhD in 2019 and my implants I had removed in 2021 in January. But through this journey, I always share that one of the key things that I really noticed when I was unwell with my implants was I felt like I'd went from writing this 80,000 word thesis and being so sharp and clear to then getting into the end of 2020 and early 21, not even being able to write an email. So I had so much brain fog and just concentration wasn't there, so much chronic fatigue that I really like some days 
couldn't even get an email out. And I was teaching at the university at this point as well. And I remember I had a full teaching day on Wednesdays. And if I did anything the Tuesday afternoon prior or the Tuesday night, there was no way I had the energy to make it through that Wednesday. For me, the I really saw that change in me on an energy and a, a clarity level of mine, like being able to put my thoughts to, to paper and to words. And being someone who had come from doing a PhD, running a business, doing all the things to now not being able to write an email some days was really challenging for me on a personal level too. It just sounds like what happens during menopause. <laughs> you lose your sense of yeah. self. I was talking to a lady mm. last week and she quit a job because she felt like she couldn't function at a professional level anymore. And it happens to so many women. Mm. It's a hormonal thing. So being able to, I was able to have a conversation with her because she thought there was something wrong. And it's just, there's nothing wrong. Mm. It's the hormones and through what you've done, that what you focus on tends to grow. So if mm. you're focused on, oh, my God, I can't think straight. Oh, my God, my brain's not working. That's what's going to happen more because that's what your focus is on. That's mm -hmm. what you So it's interesting yeah. in on many levels from my generation as well, from women who are my age because how do you deal with that kind of thing and how do you deal with those changes, I suppose, is what I'm asking. What's the – because there are – as we go through life, yeah. there's lots of changes physically that we have to adapt to, and I've gone off on a complete tangent here, but – No, this is great. This is great. And, <laughs> and then how do we recreate based on the what's so right now? Because I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Mm. I, I think of my dad, for example, who's 85 and is really angry, permanently angry, because he can't do the things physically that he could do 30 years ago. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah, challenging. Yeah. It's, it's so challenging because it's an identity piece, right? It's And this is a thing that I, again, felt during that, that excellent journey of getting my implants removed. It's a piece of your identity that's that's leaving you. You're letting go of a part of your identity. And that's what happens as we go into each phase of our life. And I think what's really important there is honoring the different seasons of our life and knowing that how we show up in this present moment is going to look different to how we once showed up in a previous present moment. And the decisions that we make today are going to look different than the decisions we may have made in a previous season. And that's okay. But coming back to the, the body element of it and connecting to your body and how do we as women honor that, that change? I think it really starts with just coming back to your body and seeing your body as so much more than just its external self. And starting with a body, with body appreciation and seeing how much your body carries you through life as well, how much it does for you to support you to show up every day. So like our, our heart pumps for us without us thinking, like our lungs breathe for us as well. And there's so much that our body does. And through my journey with explant surgery, I connected so much to that because even though I'd put these foreign things in my body, every day it showed up and fought for me. So if we can really start to shift our focus on our body from its external to all the things that it does for me and how can I support it to show up at its best, that kind of facilitates that seasonal shift as we go through. And we know that I even went to the gym the other day and I got there and I said to my best friend, I was like, I do not have the stamina I had when I was 25. <laughs> like, So I'm only, I'm, almost 33 now and I was like my body's aching like my muscles are sore because I had almost two years off after my explant and so I restarted the gym this year and I was like my gosh like my body does not have the same bounce that it once had so I think really honoring that though and being like that's okay that I can't do double sessions anymore and I don't have the same stamina and it's about really learning how to tune in with where your body's at this time and honoring where it's at because as women we don't have a 24-hour hormone cycle like men do. We have a 28-day hormone cycle. So our natural body rhythm is going to fluctuate across the month. And as those hormones change over our lifetime, 
it's going to fluctuate again. So I think by honoring the season of life that we're in can help us connect to our body and show up in that way as well. Is what is help? wrong with the dog? <laughs> oh, he's in the, sorry, can you hear him in the background? That's all right. <laughs> he's staring at himself in the mirror. He's barking oh. at himself in the mirror and he thinks it's another dog oh. who's going to play with him. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> I can hear him going having, It's like he's having a little tantrum. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous. Again, my daughter does the reels for the podcast and she said, Mum, you never pause. <laughs> she said, you just keep going. <laughs> I love that she helps you. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, she's amazing. She So she does, at the moment, she does mm. all my social media stuff and everything. She's just wonderful. Um, the best kids honestly incredible they've all been on the podcast (laughs) except my youngest I actually a few years ago I interviewed all the kids the three older ones to find out what they thought of my parenting and the way I brought them up so that was a really interesting conversation that's so good it was so cool it was such a good asking asking those questions like everyone can learn from those right like leaning into those questions that scare us yeah, and because there's always a concern, and, and this goes, this kind of ties in with what we're saying, because we tend to focus on the stuff that we've done wrong. Oh my God, mm. I did that to that child, and I'm such a bad mother, and everything. But when I spoke to the kids, the stuff that I'm so wound up about, and so guilty about, and I beat myself up about, they didn't even remember. Oh, they can't remember. Then they go, oh, yeah, I remember when you did that. Blah, blah, blah. This is something completely different that had they'd been focused on but wasn't, didn't even register for me. It's really interesting how yeah. we, put, we put our, we tie our self-worth up in things that we think are important but out in the rest of the world, <laughs> nobody's interested. <laughs> Yeah. And this ties in really nicely because through my journey through explant surgery, I started journaling and it was, he touched on something really important there and was about celebrating the things that we do well or the things that go well, because we tend to have, our brain is wired for safety, right? So any kind of danger, it's going to try and focus on that. So it's constantly, we're auto-programmed to focus on the bad or the negative to keep ourselves safe. But what can happen is we hyper-focus on that and then we keep attracting that back. So part of what I started to do when I was journaling was celebrate the good moments in each day. How did I show up today? What did I do? What am I proud of? And rewiring my brain to start to see the joy and the good and, and the gratitude in each day as well and celebrate what I did. And I think that's a really big piece of moving through even even body image because I believe body image is a mirror of the relationship you have with yourself as well. So the more deeply you're connected with yourself, the more likely you'll have that same honoured relationship with your body because you're not looking for that external self-worth piece as much. It is more of that internal self-worth. Yeah, for those back listening, he's bought his ball. For the people listening rather than watching, we're both laughing because the dog's just come up and he's scratching. <laughs> just go throw my ball. Yeah. So when you were journaling, because uh, there's mm. lots of different types of journaling, and quite often I find when somebody suggests journaling to somebody else. They're like, oh, no, I can't do it. And I know when I started journaling, I'd look at the blank page and I'd have the clearest Mm. mind that I was going to have all day. There was nothing that wanted to come out of my brain and go onto the paper. (laughs) And it was only when I, yeah, me a while to actually, and I had to, I started typing in the end because when I start, when my brain starts, I can't keep up with it with writing. I've got to type and there'll be words missed out and, and everything. But it's very difficult. I find, and that was, I started that six years ago, but if I'm overwhelmed, journaling is the hardest thing to do. I have nothing to say. 
don't want to go on social media, don't want to talk to anybody, do not want to journal. <laughs> it's really mm, interesting. Yeah. And journal it's yeah, journaling is something that people tend to say, like there's that a bit of resistance there. And I think from what I see as well and from my own experience, I believe that like journaling's that it's that first space where we may be expressing things that we've never expressed out loud. Like we've never expressed these thoughts to anyone or put them on paper before. So it's a step in vulnerability with ourselves. And I think that even the act of stepping into that is scary to be writing. Like you've got that fear of who's going to read this or what's going to happen if I write this down. So it's usually the first safe space many people have had to say and express things to themselves that they've been bottling up for quite some time. So it's not a natural practice for many people. And for myself, I'd never really journaled prior to this either, but I got to the point where I was in the mid of, do I have surgery? What's the next step? What does it look like? How am I going to feel? How am I going to look after surgery? And I was having so many opinions around me that I had to just shut them out and start hearing my own voice. And for me, journaling really did that. It was a safe space for me to say, this is everything that's going on and it's okay to write this down and just get it all out there, get it out of my head and, and get it on paper. And there's so much power in doing that and getting things, thoughts out of your head and onto paper or typing them if that's what works for you. Speaking can be another thing. Like many people might do journal into their voice notes and just hear, get it out, get that thought, get that emotion out. So for me, it was really around that clarity around, okay, if I shut out all of the noise and I actually get to my my true self and my inner thoughts, what decision do I want to make or and how do I want to feel? So I think it was a really great tool for that. But many people will have the resistance because they may have not had that safe space either within themselves or within the environment they grew up in to really express how they were deeply, truly feeling. Yeah, I think and that's it. It's, we brought up that we don't say certain things. You don't talk badly about mm. people. You don't bitch about people behind their backs. You don't criticise people. And so the act of writing it down or typing it out is going against everything we've been brought up with in a way, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, and it's that self-expression piece. I've never been allowed to say these things before or feel I'm like some of us may be shamed for feeling certain ways at times. So now we hold on to that. But it, whether we get that out through therapy or through another creative way, like I know some people may use dance as a tool to get their emotions out or expression, like we express through creativity. So journaling for me was that tool. I believe that kind of any hand creativity practice can help you get that out to so anything that involves like using your body to express as well can also help with that but yeah journaling was that tool for me and I think a good way to start and this is how I support many of my clients to start a journal practice is to initially have a dedicated time for it so whether that's in the morning or the afternoon or the evening for you and give it a set amount of time so, okay for 10 minutes I'm going to sit here with my pen and my paper or however you want to journal. It could be typing, like you said, or with a voice memo. And I'm just going to sit here and see what comes up. And I may write for a minute and then feel, okay, I'm done for the day. But I'm going to give it the rest of the nine minutes just to sit here and give it the space to see if something else comes up. Because I think what can happen is, or what I see is, we write. A, we might write a few lines and be like, okay, that's I'm done. But on a subconscious level, there's more that wants to come out. It's just giving the, the actual journal practice the time and the presence to allow it. So starting with a 10-minute block. And some days it will feel really easy and the pages and the words will flow. And other days it might be a little bit more challenging. And when it is a little bit more challenging, lean in and ask yourself, what's holding me back from sharing today? And then we start to become aware of, Okay, in what, how did I spend my time today? And was I around perhaps people where I didn't feel like I could express myself? So now that's coming up as a block in being able to sit with this practice now. So we start to become aware of like, where is energy investing through the day? And when do I feel the most free and open to express? 
I hadn't thought about that before, about looking at what's around me and what is that in any way stopping me from journaling or communicating freely, sharing freely. Because let's face Mm. it, a lot of people never get the opportunity to feel heard or really rarely feel heard, Mm -hmm. feel able to fully express and just have the other person get it without judgment. It's not something that's that common in our space, is it? No. And I don't know if you follow the holistic psychologist, but she does a lot of this work and her book is amazing at unpacking this around how, and it was probably one of the most transformative books that I read. It's called Doing the Work. And it's really unpacking around what did my environment, how did my environment shape me to be as to how I show up today, as to how safe I feel to express, how safe I feel to feel things how safe I feel to be myself. So really unpacking that, I guess that, that inner conditioning around, around who we are. Okay. I'm going to go off in a slightly different tangent. No, it's some of the same things. One thing that I've noticed recently is I split up from my husband not long ago of 30 odd years. We've been together 30 odd years. So my life occurs for me completely differently to how it did a year ago, who I am is completely different. But I didn't realise at the time what my actions were, I suppose, is what I'm saying. It's very difficult to see that you have any possibility of any other kind of way of behaving when you're in a situation, isn't it? How do we, and and that can Mm. be, and I'm talking about body image, I'm talking about the way you occur for people, the way you occur for yourself, all of those things. How do we take a step back and be able to see that and then not just see it but be able to do something about it? Yeah, that that is a huge piece because reflection is a beautiful thing, right, but it's in that reflective tense. It's past tense. It's reflecting on how did I show up or you can, of course, do future self-journaling where you narrate, narrate your desired future self. But I think what you're tapping into there is really around that um, awareness piece, around becoming more in tune with what are we doing in the present moment right now? And does that align to the person I desire to be? And we look at this, let's go into let's go into body image for a second, because this kind of and it's three steps. It's like awareness, acceptance, and action. Until we have awareness of something, we can't step into action. So you might feel that sometimes you've, that we can't change our the way we, I feel from what I've seen in practice and my understanding and my experience coaching for the last decade is it's really hard to shift something when we don't have true awareness of what it actually is we're trying to shift. So we may try and shift the way we feel about our body, but we don't actually have true awareness of how do I communicate to my body? How am I viewing my body? Where did my conditioning around my relationship with my body come from? Like where did that def who influenced what my definition of beauty was and the beauty ideals? Where is this all coming from? So a big piece is around that awareness, around awareness, which is where we start. And I think it's often the skipped piece. Like we'll pick up a, and this is diet culture 101. We pick up a diet or a challenge of, yeah, this is exactly what I need to change. This will make me feel better. But it's probably not tapping into the root cause of why we're feeling the way we are. So the awareness piece is really important. So in any moment, and we can do this for anything, right? In any moment, we have the power to check in and say, what am I feeling right now? Is it positive or negative? How am I feeling right now? What am I saying to myself right now? And we can write these things down as well. Is it positive or negative? Is it serving me or is it not? And by doing this, and we can do this, say, every hour, every three hours throughout the day or three times a day, you might want to check in when you're driving to work, then check in on your lunch break, then check in when you're driving home from work. And in a moment, say, what am I thinking right now? How am I feeling right now? And is the way I'm thinking and feeling or acting serving me right now? So we start to become aware of how we're actually feeling about our life and where it's sitting. And then also this brings awareness to what are some potential things I may want to shift. Mm. And then then it leads on to 
question because there's some things that we may not want to shift as well. We've been resisting feeling yeah, that way, but yeah. we don't necessarily want to do anything about it. Yeah, save something yeah, like and chocolates or macas or something. Yes, I know that's causing me a problem, but I don't actually want to do anything. Yeah, and that's a big one that goes back into our relationship with food. And this is what I've seen over my years supporting clients is our relationship with food. It's so much deeper than just the generic food rules we see thrown around. Like we we all have our own unique relationship with food that has again been developed over experiences by many years and many and a lot of messaging. So just say to yourself, I can no longer have chocolate or or these foods that I love. There's it's a lot harder to just to say that to do that in practice than it is to say that and that's because a lot of our pathways like the way we've been wired to cope with stress or to cope with not belonging or feeling unseen unheard food may be attached to coping with that so we go to i know that food is that comfort for me so food so if you're someone who knows that food is a comfort for you whenever you something triggers you you'll go back to using food as comfort which then if you're trying to follow a strict diet or something you're going to feel guilty every time you go back and do that so we it's not the food rule we have to work on it's why you don't feel safe and that trigger that's getting you to the point where you're wanting to seek that comfort and seek that safety in food every time so what are those triggers? Talk to, because and we're talking about food specifically here, but this is in kind of all areas of life, isn't it? It's It doesn't just relate yeah. to food here. It relates to different kinds of behaviours, relationships. It's, it's everything. Mm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's, we're going deep here. This is good. So it's really about, and this is where that self-awareness piece comes in because my triggers are going to be very different to your triggers. And that going back to how you experienced some even childhood trauma and trauma doesn't have to be a, a dramatic incident. Trauma can be, like you mentioned before, not feeling seen or heard over an extended period of time or not being able to express yourself. So we all have fears, right, based on those triggers. So how those different triggers show up is different for everyone. And those fears are different for everyone. So some people might fear fear being abandoned so you show up in a certain way to not have to get in the potential space of being abandoned by someone we love so that may show up as people pleasing or saying yes to everything rather than saying no to things you really don't want to do and that could that can be even things like you organize the family event every time because you, you're afraid to say no, even though you know how much extra time that adds to your schedule and you don't actually enjoy being the organiser. You'd love to go to an event and just turn up for once, but you fear saying no to that because of that fear of like abandonment or not being able to voice how you really feel. So I think it's really hard to say what our triggers are because they can all be quite different and they're built on our own experiences. And in relationships, this definitely shows up and about learning your partner's triggers and being able to know to know how to support them through those as well. Why do you need to learn your partner's triggers? <laughs> a relationship coach, so I'm really hesitant to jump into here. But from my own experience, doing this inner work, and again, I highly recommend the Holistic Psychologist book. I can send you the link to that as well. Yeah. Doing your own inner work. Gabby Bernstein is another one who is incredible in this space, and she talks about your protector parts and how, for example, a people pleaser, people pleasing or that boss babe, that overworking, overcommitted could be a protector part of us that's, that's showing up so that we it feels this fear of not being enough or not doing enough or essentially being abandoned or essentially not feeling enough, full stop. So I think it's really important to have those conversations and I'm in a relationship at the moment and I spent four years single, but I'm in a relationship at the moment where it is a very healthy, conscious relationship where we have these discussions. We talk about what was your childhood like and even we talk about what's your relationship with your body like and how can I support you 
or how can I support you? When those fears come up for you, how do I show up for you in a way that makes you feel safe? Because I think that's really important to know that everyone's unique and we're all going to be triggered by different things. And I think as a relationship, that communication piece is really important. But I'm not a relationship coach, so I can't (laughs) touch on that. But what I will say, coming back from a body image perspective and a relationship with self, is you can have these same conversations and depth of relationship with yourself. And the more you can hold yourself through this, the more open you are to then hold someone else through it as well, like through a relationship. For example, it it may show up of you're scrolling social media and you're seeing lots of images of diet culture or the way your body should look. It's have these abs in six weeks or go get cosmetic surgery to feel more enough, right? You can be bombarded with all these messages in this short time frame, And for you, that might be a trigger to then go, I'm not good enough. And then you may go to grabbing the snack food or binging on the food, or you may go and punish yourself with an hour or two of exercise because you don't look that certain way. So it's about becoming, and then the trigger there is what am I consuming on social media and what is the messaging behind that that I'm holding on to? So it's about being aware of, okay, what are the triggers for me? How do they show up and when do they show up and how can I start putting in some strategies around that to support myself in those times. So when I start to feel anxious or start to not feel good enough, what are some practices that make me feel good um, rather than going to that self-sabotage behavior? So it might be like, okay, I might need to go get some fresh air. I might need to log off social media for a couple of days and that's okay as well. Or I might need to go call my best friend and have a conversation. What do I know I need to do right now that supports me rather than punishes me? for having that trailer. It's really interesting you saying that because it's, it's all mixed in together, isn't it? Because mm. if you think about somebody who's going, okay, I know what my triggers are, but I, for example, want to start at the gym. But you walk in the gym and there's a room full of triggers. Mm. <laughs> triggers are everywhere. Yes. How do you deal with that kind of scenario? Yeah, so you build the relationship with yourself to tell you to know that you're safe. So if you're going to the gym, for example, if you're wanting to go to the gym, let's do this based off you're a female and you're wanting to go to the gym. If your triggers are around you feel really uncomfortable in a a unisex gym. So if you feel uncomfortable working around males, let's call it out, the males who are at the weight section that make it tense at times. Not all of them do this. Some of them are amazing, but at times can make women feel uncomfortable when they try and enter the weight section. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, is there perhaps a female only gym that you can go to get you started? Is there a safer space for you to get started? Do you perhaps want to, if your goal is to go back to the gym, could you put, and you're feeling like you're you're not quite ready to go to the gym? Could you perhaps do a do two to four weeks some at home workouts so you build the courage in your body to have the physical strength and you trust your body before you step into the gym environment? So rather than going all the way to the goal, what are some incremental steps I might want to take so that when I get to the end goal, and this is behavior change as well, when I get to the end goal. I've actually supported myself through the whole process. I haven't gone the all or nothing, like I'm going to go straight from here all the way to here, and I've supported myself through it. And then also, if you do enter the gym, so if you do step into the gym, just have, if and if you stay there for five minutes, like that's still a win, like you still got there as well. So I think it's really about being supportive to yourself of there's this fine line between we can't avoid our triggers. They're always going to be there. But it's learning how to self-soothe with ourselves with compassion and hold ourselves through that moment as well. And another amazing book is Kristen Neff, um, and it's called Fierce Self-Compassion or Fierce Compassion. And she talks about this fine line between nurturing versus like punishment. So we can't live in a world where we stop ourselves from doing everything out of fear of being triggered we still need but we need to be able to fear self fierce self-compassion is that ability to be able to step into the world and hold ourselves through things even when it's a bit scary and show up for ourselves 
Because it's really easy. Let's take the walking into your bog standard unisex gym. We imagine as we walk in there, all the judgment heaped on us. <laughs> mm. And we take on that yeah. judgment as being the truth, don't we? That's the hard bit to get over yes. for a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> And, that, and yeah, we absorb it as truth. But to be honest, most people are in there thinking about themselves. They don't care what you're doing. And it's that, it's a, again, like stepping into that. Like we can't, we can't let fear hold us back from doing things as well. Like fear is actually, it's also our friend. So we really want to be able to honor that fear and say, hey, hey, Kirst, I am a little bit scared right now, like walking into this new gym. And one of my friends actually did a really great post the other day and he's heavily involved in the gym space. He coaches other people in the gym space. He's a, a trainer and he's been in that space for year, years. And he did a post the other day and he was like, I still, when I go to a new gym or in a new environment, I still get fear and I've been in gyms for years. So I think honoring it for one and saying, hey, I'm feeling a bit scared right now or I'm feeling a bit nervous right now is the first step in, in dissolving that and then stepping into like, how can I support myself through this? What are some, they may be affirmations that you say to yourself, I am safe. I am safe as you do the thing. Or it may be saying, again, I'm going to go to a female only gym until I get comfortable in the gym and more confident in, in the training itself before moving into a new space. Or it may be going with a buddy. Like you start to think of solutions rather than barriers for you stepping into that person you desire to be in that action oh that's a good one think about the solutions rather than mm. the barriers because we mm. focus on barriers don't we we do and that comes back again to that how do i keep myself safe we're wired to keep safe so if you're sitting in fear your brain's going to pull up everything of all the reasons why you shouldn't do it but if we can say if we can honor that and say okay I'm feeling fearful right now. It's okay. It's I'm have I may be having a bit of a body response, like my heart racing, or I may be feeling a little bit nauseous. But it's okay. I can lean into it. How can I safely lean into this? How can I hold my hand and lean into this? And what's a solution that I feel comfortable with taking this next step? And that's well, even reframing. That's going back to the start around what we were talking about before around what's our what's our truth and what do we say to ourselves like one of the most beautiful things that I started saying to myself after my journey was because I'm really conscious now about the way I speak to myself and speak about the world even mm. is like today is full of possibilities like how different is that to say that to yourself versus saying today's going to be a really long hard day like in just the energy shift of going into that. And I notice it like all the time. How often do we find ourselves saying, oh, I've got back-to-back -back meetings, say so it's going to be a really long day or I'm so exhausted or, but what if we flipped it and started saying like today, it's just beautiful. Today is full of possibilities. And then you're constantly looking for opportunities. I really like that. It's funny you said that because mm. I've got this this book, a Stoicism meditation book. You read one a day, but I tend to forget and read a week at once. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And one I was reading the other day was turn everything into an opportunity. So if you get stuck in traffic, yes. instead of getting really angry about it because you just want to get home and do whatever, was, oh, this is an opportunity to just reflect on my day. And it spoke about several examples like that. Of rather than resisting it and going into a negative emotion, just think, okay, what opportunity does this offer me right now? So it's really mm -hmm. fascinating that you're saying that as mm -hmm. well. Like, okay, and, slapping yeah, me. and this is, <laughs> and a lot of like, Many clients will come, women will come to me and say, I just want to feel confident. And I truly believe that confidence comes from the doing. Not, it's a feeling that comes from acting. And what we often think is when I get, again, when I get this thing, when I get this relationship, when I get this body, then I'll feel confident. But confidence really comes from showing up for ourselves. And so one of the things you can do, which leans into that as well, is just make one small promise to yourself each day, no matter how small it is, and do that one thing and do that for 21 days and watch your watch your self-belief really shift. Yeah. I, yeah. What and, was coming up 
funny as you were talking then was I, I like Robbie Williams <laughs> and he one of his songs he says welcome to the heavy entertainment show where charisma is non-negotiable and that always really struck me as wow it's not an optional extra you can't decide oh I'm not in the mood today or, I've had a crap day I've got stuck in traffic it's like non-negotiable it is non-negotiable for you to be present in this moment and that's that was I thought yeah. was powerful that made a difference I was like oh okay I get that I can really mm. get that yeah and see what you're doing now is you're pulling back and you're bringing reflection and awareness back to the things that really land for you mm. so you're learning and when we do that when we sit in that moment and we learn more about ourselves by being present and doing reflection we learn more about ourselves and what lands for us and I learned that as well like through through Actually, this is really interesting. Another way to look at it is looking at your love languages. Have you done the love languages before, the love language quiz? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. This is a really nice way to, this is a nice way to look at relationship with self and even body image. We tend to do the love languages quiz from a perspective of how do I give and show love to others? Mm -hmm. But what if we did that for self-love? What if we looked at the way we give and receive love? We give ourselves love and receive love from ourselves. And one of my coaches actually took me through this. She was a business coach and it was mind blowing for me. And I shared this with many of my clients and they've had the same kind of response. What if we flipped self-care into doing it in a way that lands for us in our love language? So for example, my two love languages are words of affirmation and quality time. What I realized was before this journey on my explant, when I connected back in with myself, I never used affirmations or I was never really aware of the way I spoke to myself. Knowing now that's a love language for me, I am very conscious of um, affirmations and I guess that's why I connected through journaling as well. But also I now have like an audio recording which I call my codes and every morning I listen to this audio recording of how I desire to show up and how I desire to be because words for me is so powerful. So that's the way I connect with myself. So that really, that feels really aligned for my self-care because it's my number one love language. And then quality time, I previously was doing all the things all the time that I was never really giving myself my own time. So journaling again, meditation, or even just having time to myself, I'm now very conscious of doing things which allow me to have time for myself and really connect back in with myself. So those two things are really easy to show up for me in terms of self-care because they really link back to the way I give love and receive love. That's so if we flip that and think about how do I take care of my body, I co yeah, so if, if we flip that and think about in, the, in relation to our body, how do I take care of my body or show up for my body in my love language, it really is a powerful way to connect back in with your body. So for, for affirmations, for example, how do I speak to my body and how do I speak to myself is really powerful. And it gives you a start point around really, because we hear about self-care all the time, but mm -hmm. what I feel this practice does or this, it really gives you a starting point to hone in on some self-care practices or a way of approaching self-care that's going to land for you in a deeper way than just doing a random thing. That's really fascinating because the first thing I noticed was my reaction to doing love languages for myself. Mm. I was like, oh, God, can't do that. Mm. No, feel guilty. Waste of time. No, don't want to do it. And that was what was going on in my head. <laughs> yeah. So what's that story there? What's that story around why is that quiz worth doing for someone else but not you? Isn't it interesting? It's so fascinating because when I, th I think, oh, yeah, I look after myself quite well. But obviously I do it not from a space of have to, ought to, not from a space of actual care, if that makes sense. I can't quite put it into the yes. right words, that kind of it. Yeah. And this is the flip, right? So we come from that judgmental lens of I have to be doing this, I should be doing this, I've got to fix this. When we flip it and come from more of a values-based perspective or a body respect perspective, it's what makes me feel good and how can I take care of myself to show up the best for me. 
And this is when we start to use this lens, we can differentiate between doing something because we're told to do it versus doing something because we know it feels good or is good for us. And that's where you start making decisions. So for example, cutting out alcohol was one for me where everyone else can be doing it. And I'm not phased because my relationship with my, my body is I, I choose not to because that's how I choose to take care of my body because it feels good for me not to, not to do that. And we get really, that's how you really build that unshakable self-care and that and showing up for yourself. When it starts to come from the inner self rather than these external, you have to do this or this is what self-care looks like. Time to wrap up now. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? I will put links to your <laughs> website and everything on the webpage that goes Thank with you. this, but just tell people how they can connect with you. And is there anything else that you want to share? We've had such a good thought. <laughs> is there anything else? I, I know it's been amazing. We've dived into so much. <laughs> anything else I would want to share? I think I would share that your relationship with yourself is the starting point for everything, like your relationship with your body, your relationship with others. And I never realized that until I went through this journey. So I think anything you can do to connect back in with yourself and start to build that relationship so you become your own best friend is going to put you on the right path. Yeah. And where can you find me? The best place to find me, you'll link my website, but it's probably my Instagram. So it's at Dr. Kirsty Seawood. Fantastic. Thank and thank you, you so much for having me. Oh, you are welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no it's thank you for sharing so vulnerably too it's been beautiful and thank you for having murphy as a co-guest he hasn't quite behaved as <laughs> he's adorable if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life. See you next time. <laughs>